Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for uh, inviting me to be the guest speaker this weekend. <laughs> and uh, thank you for all your kind, sarcastic remarks. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> may, uh, may they never cease. Anyway, um, I was going to, uh, I really was looking forward to preaching a particular message, I had two actually that I was looking at, and as we were listening in prayer, Fran got, uh, got an amazing picture, and Karis Penner also got an amazing one, and it was tell the church renewal story. And so that's what I'm going to do, and uh, so I'm going to preach on the church renewal weekend, I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll save it for, for them. But uh, just before we do it, I had so many stories last night that I couldn't use, I just had to cut them all out. And uh, so there's even one that I'd like to tell right now, but I'll, I'll save it to the end. If there's time, I'll do it, but if not, then uh, we'll just, you'll have to come up to me in the lobby and I'll tell you uh, a couple more amazing stories that are taking place about pastors and that kind of stuff. But we just got back from Acapulco and, and a tremendous amount of writing. The level one is now just about complete. In fact, it comes out this Wednesday as the final edition uh, at the same level at the Hearing God, the Set Free, and the Empowers, uh, Power Ministers retreats that I wrote. And, um, uh, but then there's something else that's really exciting, and, and I, talked to, uh, I, 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 mentioned, I talked to Chris, uh, Pastor Chris about that yesterday. I sent a note to uh, Pastor Stefan uh, about it as well that I'm very, very excited about in January of this year. I'm also coming out with a, a brand new discipleship tool, 20 Lessons. It's evangelism and discipleship tool that can be used in churches anywhere. And uh, so I'm very, very excited about that. And uh, all of this takes a tremendous amount of writing. And I'm not a writer. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I write. Uh, it's, it reminds me about, what about Bob? I sail. I sail. I'm a sailor. Well, I write. I write. I guess I'm a writer. And uh, anyway, uh, that's uh, what's happening, and uh, so th that's a little bit of the update. But I'm going to go immediately into the uh, bit of a story. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a review story. People, uh, an increasing number of people have been asking me to write a, write a book about the, the renewal story. Grace Fast predicted it many years ago. She's often said that, and it always irritated me when she did it, uh, because I said, I don't do that. And, uh, but uh, God has really been was really speaking to me in Acapulco about it, and I, I suddenly have this uh, tremendous desire to do it. And, but I need another three writing breaks just to get through some of the stuff that I have to get done before I can even get to that story. But if you'll pray uh, and lend me your writing abilities, then, uh, then, we can, <laughs> then maybe this will happen. But anyway, where did this all begin? In 1979, and of course, the, God's vision and his plans, they go back into eternity past, don't they? They always do. But at age 25, uh, with no intent of leaving my flying career, I remember uh, uh, coming a number of times to Fran, and of course, we had we'd grown up here, and we lived in uh, Calgary, and we lived in uh, different part, uh, cities in, in uh, uh, Ontario, and I remember uh, a number of times I would say to Fran in 1979, I said, because we were seeing people from Steinbeck, they, they, they would grow up and they would leave, and we'd meet them in different parts of the country. And uh, I said, you know, what if God had, had a strategy? There's a lot of Christian memory at, uh, still in Steinbeck. Even though many people have left the church, 
uh, in, in the region. Uh, we saw that in our yearbooks. But there's a lot of Christian memory there. I said, what if somebody would go back there and build on that Christian memory? What could God do with that and, uh, and then send people out uh, across this country? Well, what kind of a 25-year-old would come up with a vision like that when he's never had any church experience, no Bible college or seminary training of any kind, and no interest in the church? But this was a thought that kept recurring to me in fact, I, 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 I was as bold as to, one time we flew back home here, and I went to visit a pastor, and I wanted to bring in another pastor to speak in that church and, and, and try to get things renewed. I actually did. I had a lot of zeal with, uh, without very much knowledge, as the scriptures say, and wisely the pastor turned me down at that time, but that was what was stirring in me at age 25. And obviously, it was the precursor of what God had in mind already, though I didn't understand that. March 18th, 1980, the uh, very next year, God called me into vocational ministry. And then exactly four years to the day uh, later, we planted Faithway Church with our family of six, as, as you all know, and with two adults. And I began discipling a group of new converts. And I want to tell you a little bit about that story because that's key to the renewal story. The renewal story starts further back than what many of you will think. It started there, and uh, I didn't know that I was part of an unfolding story because it's not our story, it's his story, right? That's what his story is. It's his story. And uh, so I would lead a bunch of, you know, I led a bunch of converts, new converts to Christ, and then I began to disciple them. And I would do it uh, at, at, in their homes during the midweek, and we'd gather a group together, and it was some of the most fun time that I ever had in ministry because it was real hands-on and with new converts. Lead them to Christ, now start to disciple them. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, I got them all new Bibles, and, and I, you know, when I'd tell them uh, which part of the Bible I wanted them to go to, they would say, uh, Pastor, what, what page is that on? And, uh, of course, uh, this particular group, they were all smokers, every last one of them. So they'd have a cigarette in one hand, Bible in the other. Pastor, what page was that on? And they'd blow it in my face. And uh, I'd spend two hours with them, and I, would, I, 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 I got such throbbing headaches from these, from these uh, discipleship times. And my stomach was uh, sick, uh, and I would go home, and it, my stomach would be turning, head was throbbing, and Fran would say, how did it go? And I said, oh, I just had uh, the time of my life. I said, it was amazing. I, it was just, I didn't care, uh, you know, uh, about all that. And, and the truth of the matter is, I mean, really, the secondhand smoke isn't all that bad anyway. It just means I get to see Jesus sooner than the rest of you. <laughs> so it didn't matter. And uh, so I was all good with that. If that, you know, if we're supposed to die for Christ, then we die for Christ, you know? And, uh, and so uh, it, was, it, it was an amazing time. I remember leading this uh, one Dutchman, six foot four, to Christ. I mean, there's some incredible stories. I wish I could even tell you what some of those stories, but, um, and, I, and I led him to Christ. He was not an easy one to lead to Christ. Six foot four, and then took him to, uh, uh, he wanted a three-piece suit then to go to church, uh, because that's how he did it, even though we were in the YMCA and they had meets, you know, many of the Sundays. And swim meets, that is, and they'd come in their skimpy nothings, and here we'd be in our three-piece suits and all, all dolled up and dressed up. 
uh, women as well. And, and uh, so he, he got saved and he said, Pastor, I want to serve, but I, I first need a three-piece suit. I drove him into Toronto. We went to uh, a place. I won't, uh, anyway, it was in a basement where they didn't use receipts. And, and uh, <laughs> he bought a three-piece uh, three suit, uh, pinstriped, and uh, came back. And he said, Pastor, I want to serve. I said, where do you want to serve? He said, I want to be a door greeter. Oh, that sounds like the Bible, doesn't it? I'd rather be a door greeter in the house of the Lord. Is that true? David said that. Anyway, so that's a, it's a tremendous, uh, anywhere that you serve, you're part of the story. Is that true? Yes. And he, that's what he wanted to do. So I gave him the job. And I forgot to tell him what he should and shouldn't do. And so he was at the door with a cigarette in one hand. And he was shaking his hands in there. Can you imagine my mom doing that at the front there? <laughs> That'd be quite something, wouldn't it? So I told my mom, you can't do that. So anyway, um, that's, that's what he was doing. And between Sunday school and church, uh, we'd, we'd have to, we had a longer than normal break than most churches, just so they could all go out for the smoke break there in the lobby. Uh, before coming back for the services. But it, it, was, it's an, it was an amazing time. They were hungry for Jesus, loved him with all their heart. But then I noticed something. The, the more time I discipled them, the cooler they got. Oh, they started to change some of the things. Like they, you know, some of their outward, you know, the way they dressed was a little bit different. Some of their behaviors changed. Their language certainly changed. A few of them were able to kick the habit and a few things like that. But you know what I noticed? They were cooling down. And I didn't like it that they were cooling down. And they were becoming like so many other Christians at that time. Not like you, but like over there. And I didn't like that. And so I, I went to the streets and I started walking up and down the streets. It's true. Around Pittock Dam, down the railway tracks. I was praying. I was disillusioned. I was upset. I was agitated, frustrated. I said, God, what is it? Like, this was so much fun, and now they quit smoking, but now they've cooled off. And I said, Lord, should I take them back to smoking? <laughs> I'd rather have them like that. And, um, and then the, uh, the Lord put a thought in my, in my mind. It was just one of those thoughts, and it was revival. I thought, oh, revival, that's, that, that's it. That's what we need. That's exactly what our church needs. So I went and I gathered four other pastors from Woodstock, and we sat in a room, and I said, okay, my church needs revival. And then I looked at the first one, and I said, does your church need revival? And he said, he looked at me and shrugged his shoulder, and I guess so. It did, trust me. <laughs> I asked the second one, and he said, I guess so. And I asked the third and the fourth, and they all agreed. Now, you've got to picture this. Five pastors huddled together, all, all agreeing that they need revival or renewal in their churches. And, but when we said, now what do we do? Not one of us knew what to do next. I'd never been taught. I didn't know. I had no idea. And we're scratching our heads. Five pastors scratching their heads, trying to figure out how do you revive a church. And uh, all of a sudden, a thought came to me. There, there was that thought again. And the thought was the Terror Twins. Now, I, they're revivalists. I had never... Uh, I think they're in their 90s now or something like that. But I'd never, I'd never met them. I'd never been to any of their meetings, ever. But I'd heard about them. I'd never read about them, but I'd heard about them. I knew that in Saskatchewan some things had happened. But what I really knew was my mother-in-law had attended 
one of their meetings. In fact, it was the last meeting of the, of, of the campaign in this area. And she had a severe eating disorder. I mean, after every, every meal, she went off to the washroom. And uh, she also developed some severe emotional problems and, and was in and out of mental institutions uh, for a number of years. She went to the last meeting. In fact, she wasn't even really in the meeting. She met with people who were doing uh, the, the, the personal ministry, sort of, so to speak, at the end of the meeting. And she met with them, and they led her through some confession and things. She, and they got to a place on bitterness, a root of bitterness that was in her heart. And she got rid of the root of bitterness, and the eating disorder was gone. And she never had any more emotional issues after that. I mean, that was it for decades. She was a completely changed woman. She was always a nice woman before that, but, but, but she didn't have these problems anymore. She turned into one of the most joyful, funny uh, kind of people you can imagine. I said, that's what we need. That's what we need. So we brought them in, 14 nights. Uh, and for 14 nights they spoke, and, and I stood at the back. I didn't quite understand exactly what they were doing, but I mean, I, I got the gist of it. They were getting people to confess sins. Okay, that kind of made sense. And they were, you know, strumming the guitars and singing Kumbaya and doing different, some different things. Or people were going forward, getting on their knees, confessing some things. And it seemed like they were changing. Even the worst reprobate, his name is also Ray, went on the last evening. I couldn't believe it. I said, oh, true revival has finally come. When he went forward, I knew it, it, was, it was in the bag. Well, the next morning was Sunday. Revi revivalists were gone. We were in the YMCA. We had a record number. We, we broke 100 for the first time. But uh, during the service, I, I, instead of preaching a message, I had my message ready. I just thought maybe somebody would want to give a testimony. So I opened it up, and one got up and testified. Another one got up and testified. A third and a fourth. I mean, they didn't stop. I mean, they were competing for who could get up fastest, and some of them had tears running down their, uh, their cheeks, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. We're experiencing revival. And we sensed God's presence. You know, it was a visitation from God. It was amazing. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I walked out of that, uh, that meeting. I mean, finally it was 12.15. I looked, I went, oh my goodness, we're out of time. We've got to get going. <laughs> we're renting, and we're supposed to be finished at 12, and we've got to get out of here, you know, stack the chairs and get out of here. And uh, I remember going to the parking lot and just thinking to myself, man, I've got to be one of Canada's best pastors. <laughs> you know, at age uh, 32, I, I know what to do. I know exactly what to do. You want revival? Easy. Call up the, the Sterra Twins, and you've got revival. should write a book on it. Go on the road. Tell everybody. Except that six months later, I couldn't tell that we had had a visitation from God. We were right back to where we had started. It had dissipated, it was gone. And now I was really upset. Back to the streets, around Pedrick Dam, down the railway tracks, praying, praying, praying. Said, God, what is the matter? Uh, you give me some converts, they spend long, uh, enough time with me, and they cool off. They go down. I give them to Satara twins for 14 nights, and they become hot, and they go up. And the Satara twins go, are you ready to take them back? Oh, yeah, I know what to do. Give them back to me, and within six months, they're right back to where they were. And I'm going, it's, 
there's a common denominator here, and it's me. This pastor doesn't have a clue what he's doing. I had no idea. I said, God, and, and that's, <laughs> that's really what the Spirit was whispering to me. He said, you really don't know what you're doing. So much for being Canada's greatest pastor in the YMCA. And uh, you don't know. I said, no, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. So you have to show me. But, and he did answer me, but he didn't answer me the way I expected. I thought he was going to show me how to get that visitation thing back again. But he was going to show me how you get a habitation of God. You see, God is not interested in visiting us. I tell pastors that all the time. God's not interested in a visitation. He's interested in a habitation. He wants to live with mankind. That's the whole point of what Revelation was. In fact, it's all the way through Scripture. In fact, that's part of the Christmas story. And she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's the point. He doesn't want to leave. He want, I always tell pastors, he wants to be in your church more than you want to be in your church. But you, there are conditions that have to be met. For example, our iniquities have separated us from God, Isaiah said. Your sins have hidden his face from, from you that he will not hear, he said. Isn't that true? There are some conditions. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Isn't that true? It's conditional. <clears throat> but here's the problem. The conditions are ancient practices that the, the, that the church in much of the world has neglected or discarded. And that's what, what had happened. Uh, many of the things that are conditioned, that's why when the terror twins came, they, they brought in a couple of those ancient practices. We did them, and immediately we experienced renewal, and we experienced a, a, a sense of God's presence with us. As soon as we walked away from those, those, those practices, we were right back to where we were again. But I didn't understand that. And so... Um, uh, God would take us on a journey, and that's where the, the second part of this all heads, because it continues with Southland. So the seed was planted over there. God would now take me on a journey and teach, and teach me some things. Well, it's, Southland was a perfect test case, because it had just experienced three church splits in the five years preceding my start. And so if God could renew Southland with its 150... <clears throat> And there were still lots of internal uh, troubles, even when I began, even though many had left. And um, if God could renew that, if God could renew us here at Southland, he could renew anybody. Don't you agree? Church, church. Do you get it? That is the point of the story. He, if he could do it with us, he could do it with anybody. And that's what I try to tell uh, pastors all the, all the time. Well, um, the first year that I started, I started, in, uh, yeah, I was voted 1995 December. It started in January. It was the first time I spoke, and, um, and, and I spent a great deal of time in prayer. I would go in the auditorium at the corner of Chrysler and, and, uh, um, and number 12, Highway 12 there, in the little auditorium there. I would uh, spend many, many hours in, the, in a dark auditorium just pacing and praying, pacing and praying. God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to do it? And there's three things he did that first year. 
uh, that he spoke to me about, but I won't even talk about the first two. I'll just talk about one, because we can only turn, skim the surface on this story. And, um, and, and, and it was prayer. He said, I want you to start a corporate prayer meeting. Can you imagine a church that doesn't have a prayer meeting? Church, I'm serious. Can, can you imagine a church like that? That was Southland. We didn't have a prayer meeting. Uh, my house shall be called a what? House of prayer. But we didn't have a prayer meeting. So God said to me, start a prayer meeting. I said, uh, that, uh, that won't really work here. They, they're not into prayer. Start a prayer meeting. Okay, so I, I, I canceled the adult Sunday school and uh, turned it, I called it Operation Prayer. That's a pretty... You know, amazing, uh, like big name, isn't it? Audacious, kind of wow. What a, we're going to really take on the world with this uh, prayer meeting. But anyway, uh, ten or twelve stayed uh, for the prayer meeting, and uh, I would because we didn't know how to pray. Uh, I would teach on prayer for forty minutes, and then with five minutes I left, the one group could pray th- three minutes seriously. And then the second group could stretch it out to five. We called them the spiritual group. Grace Fast was probably in that one. But, um, uh, but anyway, uh, that's what we did. And, uh, and after a while, after some weeks, the thing started to fizzle out and some people started to quit coming to the prayer meeting. It was an awful prayer meeting. And we, uh, we, we, <laughs> you know, we just kind of made it last through the winter. And by the time I got to June of 1997, I was so done with corporate prayer in a church. And I went to prayer around midnight. Family was asleep. I was very discouraged about the whole thing. I said, God, prayer doesn't work in a church. So why don't, uh, why don't, um, I'll pray. I like to pray and I like to hear from you. And let's, uh, you, you tell me what to do and I'll just do it. Let's just keep the church out of it. That's quite a statement, isn't it? And right there, the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't cancel the prayer meeting, but I don't, I don't want you to quit. And he just filled my heart with such hope. I remember it. Such hope suddenly filled my heart. I have no, I have no way of explaining it. I didn't induce it. He just did it. And he said, don't quit now. The answer is right around the corner. I went, oh, okay. So I went to sleep. Next morning I woke up and I looked around to see if the answer was there. It wasn't. And the next morning, again, no, nothing. But in the meantime, a new problem started to develop in my life. Now I had two problems, a church that wouldn't pray, and now I had a second one. It was in my own home, and it was uh, my wife, Fran, and she, she had developed some kind of something. Her nose was running, and by the time we got to August, she could on command just bend her head and fill a cup with that much clear liquid. And, they thought maybe it was allergies at first, but strongest antihistamines didn't take care of it. And so finally in September, they uh, analyzed it at a lab. And on my birthday, Fran and I were at our, <laughs> at a, uh, having a birthday lunch together. And she got a call, and, and it was a doctor saying, oh my goodness, this is CSF, cerebral spinal fluid. There's a breach in your, uh, to your brain somewhere, and it's, uh, the, the, the sp- spinal fluid is coming through, network of sinuses and out your nose, and that's life-threatening, so we've got, to, uh, we've got to run a bunch of tests with you and get you ready for surgery, and uh, beginning of November, they scheduled a surgery. 
cut her from ear to ear, face came down, you know, pulled the face down some, went in, the neurosurgeon did, saw the, saw the fluid coming, but couldn't find the breach. So they finally just packed some fascia in there and stapled her back up, 70-some staples, and next morning I could see the stain on the gauze, and I knew it had failed. And it had. So in March of 98, they ran, uh, they performed a, a second surgery with a different uh, surgeon. And that one failed. And then in the summer, July of 1998, we went to Philadelphia for two weeks. And, and that, they found the breach, but three months later, it failed. And, uh, and then came surgery number four, five, six, seven, eight. They all failed. And uh, this spread out over a, a bunch of years. Surgery number nine, they did something else, but it's not really part of the uh, germane to what I'm, I'm saying right now. But during that time, I would many times, I would come into the church and I would lie prostrate on the, on the floor in the lobby in the, in the old building and late in the evening. And I would cry out for healing for my wife. And I would fast and pray and, and that kind of stuff. And God would never answer that prayer. He would always love me, he would comfort me, he would encourage me, strengthen me, all that kind of stuff. But he would never, heal, he would never hear the prayer. In the meantime, there would be some crises in the hospital. And uh, like uh, the, the one time, for example, she was in ICU here in, I think it was in St. Bo- yeah, it was St. Boniface and, uh, at the time. And um, there was a crisis. The pain had just gone out of control. They couldn't control it. It was beyond her threshold. And she has a high pain threshold. And so um, all of a sudden, a thought came to me because I had just started Pastor's Prayer Partners that same year in 1998. And uh, we had a small group of prayer partners, and all of a sudden I thought, get them to pray for this crisis. I ran out of the, I ran down the hallway, pick, as I'm running, I'm saying, Lord, give me the first prayer, give me the name of a prayer partner that I should call who is by the phone and will answer, because I didn't want to spend time trying to find somebody. And he gave me a name, and it was Lori, it was Lori Rempel, at the time she was part of that. And um, I phoned her up, and sure enough, first ring, she picks it up. And, uh, and I said, I don't have time to explain. Things are out of control. Just pray and get the other prayer partners praying. If you have time, tell some others as well. With that, I said, I'll call you back later. Click. And I ran down the hallway, back to ICU. And when I got into the room and by the bed, the medical staff was standing around there. And they were puzzled and scratching their heads because Fran was laying there completely still. I leaned over and I said, honey, are you okay? She said, yeah. I said, well, what happened? She said, a couple of moments ago, it just went away. And I went, ha, it went away, did it? I went, and I asked for prayer. I come back, and it's gone. Well, that continued to happen. And slowly, the church started rooting in prayer. It was amazing. Um... And the operation prayer meeting started to grow. Not by leaps and bounds, but it started to grow. And do you know that four years later to the month, after we started operation prayer, actually it was October, October of 2000, we ran our first prayer summit in the old building. And do you know how many people attended? 150. Think about this, 12 you know, 10 or 12, 
And four years later, there's 150 at the prayer summit. And I asked last night if there were any people there at, you know, attending from that prayer meeting. There were some. Are there any here this morning that were at that first prayer meeting? Okay, I see, I see Ken and Eunice, and I see Terry and, and Henry over there, and a few others. Yeah, yeah, the, Lewis is there. And that's amazing. And what God has done in rooting prayer. But there was something else that was taking place simultaneous to all this that was, that was going to have a huge impact. Because you see, without prayer, a church cannot be renewed. Even if you do the other pieces, you cannot renew a church without prayer. Is that true? <laughs> impossible. Absolutely impossible. Show me a church that's full of division, and I'll show you a church that's not praying. Sorry, that's the way it is. I, I can tell you right away by the condition of the church if the church is praying or not. But anyway, something some simultaneous was taking place on another front. I had a, my best friend at the time was Reg Fast because he was a pilot. And he was attending, that's Grace Fast's husband. And uh, he was a commercial pilot and we'd often fly his airplane together. And, um, and uh, so in 1998, right after Fran's first surgery, one day he comes to my office over there on 12 and Chrysler, knocks on the door, and I said, come in, and in walks Reg. And he plops himself, I remember that maroon or mauve uh, sofa, uh, that short sofa we had there, uh, Eunice. And he plops himself, kind of lies on the thing, it's not long enough for him, but he kind of props his head up, and he's got a grin on his face. And we start chatting about different things. He asked about Fran and et cetera, et cetera. And then all at once, calmly, he says, I just came back from the doctor's office in Winnipeg and I'm diagnosed with cancer. I said, what? This healthy young guy? And uh, so anyway, that started things. And sometimes we were in the hospital at the exact same time. Fran would be in one room, he'd be in another. Some Grace would go see Fran, I'd go see Reg and that kind of thing. Sometimes we passed each other on the highway on the way to the hospital. And um, I didn't know at the time, but in less than a year from then, at that same time a year later, he wouldn't be here. And we would have buried him already. Well, during that time, they, they had a runway uh, where they lived in the country, and Grace would go up and down the runway and just pray hours, countless hours, and uh, just a couple of days before Reg passed away, the Holy Spirit spoke to her on one of the prayer walks and said, quit praying for his healing. I'm taking him home. And she stopped praying, and two days later he was gone. Well, she went through an obvious grieving process together with the whole family, the children. They're all in this church, of course. And um, one day, and I didn't know this was going on uh, at, at the time. I knew that she was grieving, but she was sitting on the floor next to her bed, and she was praying. She said, you know, God, during this entire time, I fell in love with prayer. But now I don't know what to do. What should I be praying for? Well, yeah, there's the usual stuff to pray for. But she was talking about a big focus for prayer because she had fallen in love with it. And the Holy Spirit said to her, call Pastor Ray. He'll tell you what to do. So I, I received this call from her. Not knowing any of what was going on behind the scenes, I had no idea that she'd fallen in love with prayer or anything like that. We'd never discussed it. And she said, uh, is there anything that I can do in the church? I said, oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. Immediately, I knew what it was. I said, I need, I, need, I need you to join my prayer partners. 
I had no idea that it was the perfect match. Uh, but we just had a small group, and uh, I said, I need you in the prayer partners. She joined the prayer partners, and within a year, I appointed her to lead the, the pastor's prayer partners. And she's been leading prayer here at Southland ever since. Is that amazing? As in 1999, and uh, uh, when, when she joined and, and then became the head. By 2004, I hired her as a pastor of prayer. Very few churches have pastors of prayer. I don't know any personally, but I'm sure there are uh, some. Uh, but it was that important to me that prayer was going to be at the core of this thing. And, of course, she's been leading and training many. She's trained over 300 intercessors already and prophetic people. And, um, and uh, it, it's just an amazing thing that God has done, isn't it? And now I have no idea where I am. But uh, I know the story. But I just have to, I have to check just so that I stay on, uh, on somewhat of a script because of time. That's why I have to, uh, I have to uh, check that. But one day, Grace said to me, not that many years ago, just a couple of years ago, uh, she said to me, and I quote, because I asked her for it, and I put it in my journal, the Lord took Fran and you on a journey of trials to root prayer in the church, and the Lord took my husband so that he could train me in the ministry of prayer. It's amazing. We all get to be a part somehow of God's big unfolding story. Anyway... Uh, here's another example of, of some of the ancient practices. There's, there's basically eight with two parts to each that, uh, you know, that, that we've put together. But uh, over a period of time where, where, the, where some of the practices have been neglected and so churches are not renewed. Here, here was another example. So in 2001, I was, uh, I was very frustrated. You can tell I've been frustrated a lot in ministry, right? <laughs> um, and... It, like, if something isn't working, I'm not just happy to go along. <laughs> and it wasn't working. And I'll tell you what wasn't working. People would come to see me with their problems. And I hated it when they came to see me with their problems. Because I didn't want to hear their problems because I didn't know what to do with them. In fact, when they would come to see me, they would leave often in worse condition than when they came. And so I was annoyed. I said, maybe I don't have the spiritual gift. I began to pray, God, take all the people with problems and send them to the church down the street. <laughs> I didn't really, but I really wanted to pray that. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is we're all broken, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're all broken. It isn't just some people with problems. We're all a problem. We're all a problem. We're all broken. But I could, I didn't know how to fix it. And nothing I could say or do was fixing it. And so um, I was praying again, God, you got to help me. One day somebody brought me a cassette tape, and I have no idea who it is to this day, and I've told a story before, and nobody comes in and, and claims the story. And so if you want to, you can. Um, <laughs> And uh, put a cassette tape on, and it, it annoyed me that I didn't, they didn't leave a name. Uh, because if I didn't listen to it, I didn't know who to avoid the next Sunday. In the lobby, you know how it is, you know. Pastor, we got this fantastic book. If you just read it, it'll change your life and change the church and change the world. And uh, then you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta know who to avoid and how to do that. Um, it's a pastoral trick. I'm just kidding, Okay. Now, now, you know, now that I'm a pastor, I can tell you all kinds of tricks that Chris is probably using. Anyway. 
<laughs> so they gave me this cassette tape. Oh, shoot. Because I don't know the name, I'm going to have to listen to it. Because somebody's going to come and ask me about it. So I took it home when I was really tired. I was working real early to real late. I, was, I said, I'll, I'll listen to it when I'm at home. I'll kind of close my eyes, put my head back, turn the light off, and I'll play the thing, and I can say on Sunday, yes, I listened to it. And as long as we don't have to discuss it. And so I, 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 I hit play, and the minute I hit play, this man comes on and said, hi, my name is Dr. So-and-so. And uh, I've got a PhD in counseling, and uh, I've been counseling uh, from the University of such and such, and I've been, and I've been um, counseling for 20 years, and after 20 years, I'm afraid that I haven't made very much difference. Oh my, I was awake. Stop. Lights on. Get a pen and paper. I'm ready to listen. Because he obviously must have an answer. <laughs> And I want to know what the answer is. And so um, he began to tell how you can't really change the interior of an individual without Jesus. You need God's help for that. And uh, he, he began to explain how he brought Jesus into sessions. And when he said that, I, I went, oh my goodness, that sounds, that sounds like something I could do. And um, so I bought his books and put it in the back of the van, took my office chair, put it in the back of the van, took a side desk, put it off in the back of the van, and for our vacation that summer, three weeks in Kenora, that's all I did. I studied his books. I came back, and I started trying it uh, with individuals. One of the first people that I tried it with was Fran. And uh, one day I was driving with her at noon, and uh, I looked over at her, and I said, you're beautiful. And she said, no, I'm not. I said, there you go again. Why do you always say that? Every time I say you're beautiful, you reject it. She said, well, I'm not. I said, oh, I had an idea. I said, uh, can I try something on you? Um, <laughs> she said, what? And I said, well, I can't really explain it. And uh, I'm, I'm really new to it, uh, but let, uh, let's see if it works. I took her to 80 Penner Park, and uh, we stopped the van there, turned it off, had the windows open at, at noon, and I said, okay, just, 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 just work with me on this. And so I said, um, I'm going to ask Jesus to show you where he planted that, where, where that lie was planted in your memory. So we listened in prayer, and... Um, all at once, her lips were covered because I had because we Lord, you know, we put our bowed our heads, and I had one big eye open. Like <laughs> I was watching her, and the and her lips started to quiver, and I went, "Yes, this is working." <laughs> I said, "Is is Jesus speaking to you?" And she said, "Yes, he is." I said, oh, do, 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 "Is there a memory?" She said, "Yeah, when I was 12, there was this uh, wonderful person actually, who had called her fat, one time." And now that lie was planted in there. Oh my, I went, this is working. And so, I, I mean, this is a, she's a problem, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> and so I said, let's listen in prayer. So she, uh, she uh, closed her eyes and said, dear Jesus, would you please speak to her what you, uh, you know, where you are in this memory and what you think about her? And he began to speak to her about how he had made her and formed her and on. And she was sitting there just weeping. 
I went, oh, I'm a good, I'm a good pastor. <laughs> I, know how to ha- I know how to handle problems. Just get Jesus to do it. And, but that was the truth. And that was the beginning. That was just the early beginning steps of what we now call personal prayer ministry. Of course, Pastor Stephan is taken to advanced levels. And that's way beyond me. But, uh, but that, that was the, the, the beginning. And, you know, there were other areas that he began to speak to us about and tell us to go back to. Start confessing and repenting and uh, submitting to Jesus and obedience and char- growing your character and having daily devotions and on and on. All these neglected practices, slowly we started introducing them. And eventually he said, I want you to package some of that into a... A uh, thing like uh, hearing God or uh, set free or something like that so that many people can take it at one time and that you can hand it off to other people to do it so it can be multiplied. That's a, that's a story of, um, of renewal. And so eventually uh, on May 13, 2004, Grace Chin in Toronto, and I don't have time to tell the story so I'll just say it, she she was prophesying over Fran and I. She's a complete stranger to us. She said, you'll be traveling much and speaking in different countries. You'll be training many uh, leaders. And then some of our staff, I was listening in prayer with our staff two years later. And Chris, Pastor Chris Dirksen and Chris Puach and Fran and Grace and Ray Oder, they all received things that I was supposed to connect internationally. That was September 21, 2006. Two months later, I was in Argentina and connected with, with uh Apostle Alex Metalla on that bus. Can you believe that? Yes. They're listening in prayer. They get that. They, they, they pro- share the prophetic words with me. And two months later, I'm connecting with an international leader. This is phenomenal. Only God can do those kinds of things. Tom sent me an email right around that time. And he said, even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. And then we come to church renewal, December, uh, uh, that led to that. And December 4th, 2008, uh, John Bergen uh, called and said, I want to, uh, I think you should start a ministry to the Canadian church. It took a few years as the Holy Spirit began to work that in our lives. And by uh, November 2011, I, I, I got up and I announced we're going to launch church renewal. It would take a full, we had no materials, no strategies, no no pastors. It took a full year till we got our first two pastors, and that was uh, Pastor uh, Sean Van Dopp from Chilliwack and Pastor Phil Collins from Kelowna, both churches of roughly uh, around a thousand, and they are still in church renewal five years later, and they are now coaches in church uh, in church renewal. And as I was uh, reading the scriptures one day, God spoke to me out of Isaiah 61 verse 4. And that's where the name renewal came out of. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And, uh, and then on, in 2013, we got a picture coming, uh, flying out of Asuncion, Paraguay. Uh, God spoke to me as we were leaving, and I, I, I asked him if there was anything he wanted to say to me about our visit to Jerry and Dahlia Reimer there. And suddenly this ball of emotion came out of him and he said, I'm calling you to Latin America and, and other countries. And then he spoke to Fran uh, on the next leg from Sao Paulo to Toronto and, said, and, and she saw a picture form around us with a family of nations. And, uh, and God was doing all of that. Nobody can do that. Is that true? 
Nobody can come up with these kinds of things. I'm just skimming stories right now. And so in 2013, April, we uh, had our first church renewal weekend with 24 delegates. That same month, Pastor Stefan joined us in CR Halftime to help mentor pastors and lead the CR uh, Church Renewal Set Free Retreats. In 2015, Eddie and Christina joined us. And uh, within months, we had Latino pastors coming because of the tremendous work they were doing. And now we pastor, uh, uh, we mentor many Latino pastors. I'm, I'm going to be speaking 18 times in eight cities in four countries <clears throat> in February. And then we'll go to Spain after that uh, in May as well. And uh, so it, it's amazing what God has done. But this is how I want to finish it off with uh, two minutes that I've got left. This isn't a story about a man, a couple, or a family. No, it isn't. It's all his vision, his plans, and his provisions. And it's the story about a church that obediently responded and was, was and is being renewed. And um, I was meditating on the Christmas story a couple of days ago. And you know one of the things that fascinated me about it? The people who were in the, dra in the Christmas drama... Okay, Jesus is central in it. And you've got Mary, she's really central. Uh, but Joseph, he's on the scene for just the Christmas story and you never hear of him again. He's off the scene. He's played his part. There was the shepherds, nameless shepherds, by the way. Did they have a part in the Christmas story? Yes or no? They did, but they're nameless. Then there was these wise men. We don't know how many there were, the magi. Uh, that came bearing gifts, and they, uh, many, many theologians believe that's how uh, the little family stayed alive when they had to flee to Egypt, you know, with the gifts that they brought, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, but they also remained nameless. We have no idea who they were, or even how many there were. Were they a, a key part of the story? Yeah, they were. There's Anna. And uh, she was a widow, prayed for decades after she lost her husband very young, and she's in her 80s. She's praying. Is she part of the story? There's, uh, there's Simeon, and he's very prophetic. And the Lord had told him, you, you won't die until you see the Messiah. And then I think about, actually, there were players in the drama long before that. Isaiah predicted, you know, Lord himself will give you a sign. The... Um, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel and, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, you know, and all that. And Micah said, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, yet out of you will come one who will rule for me. Anyway, uh, a no-name Bethlehem. Sounds like Steinbeck, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And then there's many that played stories after that. I mean, think about when Jesus talked to the woman at the well. And, and she wanted to come with him. And he sent her back home. He said, go to, to, she remains nameless. The nameless demoniac. The nephew of Paul, who warned them that there was a plot against Paul when he was in prison. They, were, they wanted to take his life. There's so many. They come on the scene and they're gone. Many of them are nameless. But did they have a part in the grand story? Yes or no? Yes. And here's the point. God has a part for every one of you in this renewal story. The renewal story is actually just a small part of the grand story. That's all it is. 
But every one of us, he has a part for every one of us to play. No matter how long the part goes or how short, but he has a part, amen? amen. Maybe he wants you to give. Maybe he wants you to serve. Maybe he, wa he wants you to pray. Well, he wants you to do all these things, but what does he want you to do? You say, my little part doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. You have one opportunity to play your part, and then you exit the stage. But what you do with that yes counts for the rest of eternity. Whether it's a door greeter at the, at, at the door or whatever it is. Working with the kids back there, unnamed, unknown, unmentioned. It counts. Amen? What is your part? Ask the Lord this Christmas season. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.